Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Uh, I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior at camp when I was in third grade. That was the year after my dad had died and my mom was the camp cook. Uh, Bruce Kemper was the camp director as he was youth pastor at Emmanuel with us at that time. And uh, since my mom was a camp cook, uh, there was no one to take care of me if I didn't go because my brother was at camp. So I got to go to camp. And I was not really quite old enough. I was one year uh, early. Camp started in fourth grade, fourth, fifth, and sixth. I was up there at Camp Gilead right over in Carnation, Washington. That a gospel lesson was shared by Pastor Wynn Johnson at the time. And uh, he gave an invitation. And in third grade, I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. I can still remember sitting there in chapel and making that decision. So I want you to pray for our young people this week um, that big decisions will be made uh, to serve the Lord, to give their lives to Christ, to accept Christ as their Savior. We also had another memorable event that year at camp. Uh, during uh, one of the evenings, uh, after dinner, we went for a, a walk up to the, a little, uh, little hike up the mountain behind us. Uh, at Carnation. And if you've ever been to Carnation, there's the Carnation uh, farms up there. At that time, they still were dairy, uh, dairy farms up there or land that Carnation Company owned. And we went up there for a hike. Uh, Harvey Eulogon led us. Uh, Bruce Kemper stayed back as he was director and had to get things ready for the evening service. And we took our walk up there for about an hour to come back uh, for the evening chapel service. And so we started coming back, walking down a trail, and all about 80 of us campers and staff, except for Bruce and my mom, <laughs> where she was cooking and he was getting ready and some of the staff were back. Uh, we started heading down the trail and realized, oh, this is the wrong trail. It must be the next one. So we walked back up and we started down the next trail. And that wasn't the right trail either. They all looked the same, you know. And uh, we, they weren't marked. They were just, you know, it was just, but the camp was right down below. And we tried the next trail and that didn't work either. And the next trail didn't work, and it started getting dark out, and nobody brought a flashlight because we were just going to be gone an hour. And uh, we tried the next trail, and that didn't work. And pretty soon, it was about one in the morning, and it was pitch black, and Bruce lost the whole camp. We were... (laughs) It's one thing to misplace a kid once in a while, but the whole camp was lost up in Carnation, and it was pitch black, and nobody had a flashlight or a match, and uh, we were in a bad state. And about two in the morning, I think it was, I think Bruce was down below honking the horn, and uh, somebody followed the sound of the horn, and we found the trail, and we all came back down about two in the morning to camp. And uh, my mom made hot chocolate for everybody. (laughs) And uh, that was quite a memorable event. And, uh, you know, sometimes road trips uh, are not always the way you plan them. And uh, this last week, a road trip, as I was working on my message, and um, started heading down some trails and had it, had it pretty well figured out, put the, put the title in a bulletin, and kind of, that wasn't quite the right trail, and went down another one. And all that to say, as we look at First Peter chapter 3 today, uh, my intent was to get through verse 12, and so if we don't get there, um, it's, it's, it's because we got a little sidetracked. And uh, 
and so the title in your bulletin may not fit with today's message, okay? So all that to say, um, I think it's going to take three weeks to get through this chapter and not two, because I don't want to rush through this and leave more questions unanswered than answered and uh, leave too much confusion. So let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we open your word today. Uh, it's a privilege to open your word. It's a privilege to have these people here today, Lord, uh, to just listen to your word, to contemplate it, think about it. And uh, so it's our prayer, Lord, that your word will be heard today. Uh, we, are, we are a thankful people. We are a privileged people to have the freedom to come and open your word and to share it together. Be with our young people as we're meeting right now, both the early childhood and our children's department. Uh, be with their leaders, and we pray your blessing upon uh, these dear children as well. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Chapter 3 of First uh, Peter, and um, we, we left off last time with about uh, the suffering of Christ and some of the things that we have been called to, and we were talking about some of the household um, guidelines. Uh, we talked about servants and uh, their role, and just as in the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, where we also have, in chapter 6, where we also have the guidelines for the household codes or guidelines or rules for the Christian household. In chapter 3, we also have uh, some guidelines for a Christian household, but there's some, some specific and significant things that apply to all of us. You notice it's going to be talking to wives and husbands, but there are some principles here that I want to draw out for all of us today, and no matter what state in life we are at. So in chapter 3, verse 1, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and perseverance, or, or, or purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. And then he uses an illustration from the Old Testament. Remember the Apostle Peter, uh, we're told in Galatians, that Paul says, I was entrusted with the gospel to the Gentiles, as, as the Apostle Peter was to the circumcision, to the Jews. So there's a certain Jewish flavor and background in his work as he writes to the diaspora Jews, the dispersed Jews around the world. And from their background, this, this story of Sarah is, it becomes an example. And he says, for verse 5, For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. These would be the Old Testament uh, saints. They were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham, and called him her master or Lord. You are her daughters. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now, as we look at this passage... I think it is helpful. So what we're going to see here and in, and in Paul, when we talk about these terms of, of submission, of husband and wife relationships, there are, there are big principles, and there are also big principles for all of us, whether we're a husband or a wife. Um, there's some big principles at work here we want to see. And at the same time, it is written within a certain culture. And one of the things I think might be helpful to understand, if we could put ourselves back very difficult for us, but we could put ourselves back in the first century culture, the first century world, if we could, that this was written in. These, a lot of the recipients had this background of their Jew, but they're, they're, they're Hellenistic, they're, they're Jews in the diaspora, 
These are Christian believers. They are living in the Greek Roman world, the Greco Roman world. And there are some cultural norms in that world that you and I don't quite relate to, maybe, or, or is not part of our lives. One of those cultural norms was that the husband, as the supreme and authoritative head of the household, it was understood and expected that everybody in his household worshipped the same God he worshipped. That was part of being part of that household. So if this were my household in those days, and if I had servants or employees that worked for me in my household, doing my yard and this and that and so forth, if I had you know, able to do that, there was an assumption anybody who lived in my household, whether they were my family or were hired or were servants, it was just assumed you worship the same God as the head of the household. Now, you could worship many other gods. Uh, we call this syncretism. In the first century world, for example, the Roman government, when they ruled, like in Palestine, for example, um, they didn't really care who you worshipped as long as you worshipped the emperor of Rome. Everything else was fine, but you had to worship the emperor of Rome. The only group that was exempt from that were the Jews. They were exempt from emperor worship. And Christianity was seen as an offshoot of Judaism, so for a while they were exempt as well. And likewise, in the home, you could worship all your own gods. You could come from another land, another culture, and worship those gods, but you had to worship the god of the father, the head of the household. So that being the case, there were some challenges. There were some challenges because as the Christian faith began to spread, and it spread throughout society and not just heads of household, and in fact... We know from some accusations made against the early Christian church in Roman literature and Greek literature that they were accused of being a religion for women and slaves because a disproportionate amount of women and servants were coming to faith in Christ. And so now you have a challenge. You have a woman whose husband is head of the household and who worships a particular God that you are supposed to worship, and you have come to Christ. Now what do you do? Because you see, in Christianity, as in Judaism, there is a uniqueness, because they are monotheistic, they only believe in one God, it is not okay to worship all the other gods as well. It's not okay. And so this woman has come to Christ. She is a believer in Jesus Christ. What is she to do? What is she to do? Likewise, in the first century... For a woman to go outside of her home and dressed in finery, if you know what I mean, and we have some illustrations here of some extravagant type finery, and uh, this is part of this culture, for her to leave her house dressed in those nice things and maybe wearing more nice things than she normally would wear, there was an assumption that she was up to trouble. And you can imagine the trouble that there was assumed she was up to. Now you have a woman who's become a Christian who now worships Jesus Christ and cannot, in clear conscience, worship another god. She also leaves her home to go with other people who are not her husband out in public to a place of worship that is not acceptable. Do you follow me? These are some of the cultural norms of the first century. 
And so you can understand in this time, in this changing time, there are some dilemmas. There are some challenges. And, and I think Peter particularly, along with some of the bigger principles, and we'll talk about this, how God has ordered his world, how he's ordered his universe, how he's ordered our lives in terms of responsibility, authorities, and the, and the structure. There are also some unique things going on here that, that they address. And so Peter begins, and, and, and this, this could also, in a Jewish home, this would be the same thing. A Jewish woman comes to Christ, and she is in the same situation. Her Jewish husband is not a believer. He is worshiping the one God of Israel. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And she has now accepted Jesus Christ as equal with God. This is not acceptable. And so Peter addresses these women, particularly because I think in this particular case, you'll notice he says, when he says wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husband so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without word, words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So you see the message is clear here. The apostle Peter says, wives, you need to be aware of the fact. In fact, you know what? He doesn't even specifically solve their dilemmas. Um, they are not easy to solve. I have had these dilemmas brought to me as pastor. Pastor, what do I do? My, my husband, my wife, my parents, they are not believers. They do not want me going to church. What do I do? What do I do? They don't want me to bring my grandchildren to church, but I want to bring them. What do I do? Peter does not go into the details here. He does not try and solve all the possible scenarios, but he, he does address a big principle, and this is a big principle from Scripture that applies to every one of us whether we're a husband or wife, whether we are married or not to an unbeliever, whether we are a young person with unbelieving parents, whether you work for an unbelieving employer, you know, there's a principle here. And I want us to not lose track of this principle in the discussion of some of the other things that we lose track of a, of a really important principle here that applies to us. And that is that God has called us in relationships where there are difficulties where it's not so clear-cut, what do you do? H how do you be obedient to God and also to the social situation you're in? How do you be obedient to God's order? God has ordered the family. And we'll talk about this. And we make no apologies from our church that we believe, as Paul addresses this as well, that there is a responsibility of the husband and father as the spiritual head of your family. That is not an autocratic. It is not a uh, diminutive thing for the wife. It is not something to be abused. It is simply a fact. As, as the spiritual leader in my family, I am responsible, and I have been responsible, to provide for a spiritual environment for my family, to provide for a place where, where the Lord is important, where his work is important, where his word is important, and I am responsible before God, and I will be responsible before God, to provide that for my family. That, that is my calling as a father and a husband. And, and we make no apologies that we believe the Bible teaches this. We could talk forever today about how this can be abused. I know that. I know it well. Um, I'm well aware of, of that. And I'm well aware of, of, of how anybody can, can take advantage of that. But I didn't write this, okay? And, and, and in a healthy situation, 
It's a very good thing. But what do you do in these scenarios? You know, the Apostle Paul also addressed this. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, one of his early epistles to the church at Corinth, the Apostle Paul also had to address these things because this is happening. And these are challenges. And he, and, and he says in verse 12 of chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, his first epistle to the church at Corinth, after he's talking, he's talking about married situations and unmarried, and his, and his big point here is for now, stay in the situation you're in. It's a very changing time. But he says here in verse 12, to the rest I say this, I not the Lord. Now that's worthy of a whole sermon right there. If this is inspired of God and God is inspiring him, and he says, I not the Lord, but this is inspired by God. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer, now the role's reversed. If a brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her because she's not a believer. And if a woman who has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him because of the, the fact of one not being a believer. The unbelieving husband, now this is, this is an interesting passage of scripture. Another, this will be a whole other sermon once again. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. Just, just in a nutshell, I, I think what he, this is saying here, I don't think he's talking necessarily about, about their personal salvation because every person has to make that decision. But as for the family, as for the family unit, the believing spouse, the believer sanctifies or set this family aside for God because God can be at work and because the word of God is important. They, they are set apart for God as a family. Personal salvation is a, is a personal decision. But he says, listen, if, if they're willing to stay together because you are set apart for God because of your belief in Christ. And he goes on to talk about what happens if someone leaves in this situation. But look at verse 16. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? And this is the big principle, friends, that we go back to 1 Peter chapter 3. What, what Peter is getting at here is wives. And, and I think the context sort of suggests you have an unbelieving husband. Be submissive. Do the right thing. Don't be rebellious. Don't leave him. Don't cause trouble. You know, you're going to have to work this out, what this means in your relationship in, in terms of what happens with your worship and your Christian friends and, and so forth. He doesn't address the details, but he does say this. If you live as a believer and you set the example, you have the hope of winning them even without words. Now, you know, in all of our relationships, you have relationships. And again, I think this is a big principle that can apply to any relationship. We may have young people or children who come to church here who don't, who their parents have want nothing to do with God or Christ. What do you do? We, we've had that. We've had situations where young people want to come and their parents say, no, we don't want you church anymore. Do you tell them to disobey their parents? When God has set this principle up that children obey your parents? And, and these are difficult things. Uh, are we, we tell them, live as a Christian, pray, let, seek God's guidance, and we'll pray for you. And and, and, and trust the Lord to work this out. These are difficult. But here's the point. The point is both Peter and Paul suggest it is possible that your life in these situations, as difficult as they may be, 
And as hard as it may be to, to finalize what, what, where exactly do I go, what do I do, that the most important thing is that your life demonstrates the Lord Jesus Christ and God's love for them. And Paul says, you don't know. You may bring them to Christ. Peter says, you may win them by your life without even saying anything. When they see your purity and your, and your, and your, and your reverence for God. You know, people have asked me oftentimes, was, was your father a Christian? I mentioned my father died when I was in second grade. He was Jewish. And they say, was your father ever a believer? And you know, my answer is, as far as I know, not. I, as far as I know, not. But I do know this. It was interesting. Some, uh, Pastor Peterson, our founding pastor, for whatever reason, I won't go into details, he struck up a, uh, a correspondence with Bishop Fulton Sheen, back in New York, Catholic bishop, when he found out Bishop Fulton Sheen believed in the blood atonement of Jesus Christ for salvation, that he struck up a conversation. And when, when Pastor Peterson died, his wife gave me some of his books, and he, gave me, and he gave me this one here with Fulton Sheen's autograph in it. And there was a letter in there from Fulton Sheen's to him. And one of the things that was in, that, in the book that, that impressed Pastor Peterson, I remember him telling us this, was this statement. Never discount what God can do in the closing seconds of a person's life. Do we have an example from Scripture? Huh? Come on, do we have an example from Scripture? Thief on the cross? Thief on the cross? All he said was, Lord, remember me. He expressed some, some type of faith in Jesus Christ. He didn't receive him as personal Savior. He just expressed his faith in him. And he said, this day what? You will be with me this day. Think of it. That very day when he died, he was in paradise with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I say this. Was my father ever a believer? My father was a non-Christian. And I'll tell you this, though. He lived in a Christ, with a Christian family. My mom was a, a, a devout Christian. If I said, you know what I mean by that. My sisters were in Bruce's youth group. My dad saw the care that a pastor had for his children. My dad would come to church and listen to the choir because he loved music and he heard the gospel in the, in the Christmas and Easter programs. My dad sat and played chess with Norm MacDonald when my sister Mary Jane took piano lessons. Was my dad a believer? Well, you know what? I have to leave that to God. But never discount what God can do in the closing seconds of a person's life if they have been exposed to genuine faith. So Paul's, Peter's point here, and Paul's point in Corinthians is this. Listen, do the right thing. Live, don't give up. Young people, if this is your situation and it's your parents or grandparents, don't, don't give up. Don't give up. It may be your testimony, your life, husband, wife, Parents, grandparents, don't give up. We are not called to give up. We are called, as Peter tells these ladies here, to live lives of purity and reverence so that your life may speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to skip over the part about Sarah. Lest you think that um, being submissive and, and so on is, is a woman being a doormat, uh, you can take time to review the life of Sarah <laughs> and uh, Abraham and Sarah. And uh, whose idea was it for Abraham to have children by Hagar? 
And who obeyed his wife? <laughs> okay. Whose idea was it to, to have her leave? And it turned out it was God's will. It was Sarah's. Uh, who was a partner with him in this journey from Ur of Chaldees and raising his family? Uh, they were partners in this work. Uh, she was a strong lady. And uh, she is the matriarch of Israel. She's the mother of Israel, uh, Sarah is. But she becomes an example, along with the other godly women from the Old Testament who, who followed God's guidelines. Verse 7, husbands, in the same way, be considerate, be kind, be courteous as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker partner. Now, this is why I didn't want to rush through this passage because then someone's going to say, oh, Pastor Jim just doesn't like dealing with controversial stuff. <laughs> I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> um, so, uh, Keith, I'll let you handle this next uh, few weeks from now when you, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, let's go back here. Well, we better finish this. Well, we've got to finish this. Let's go back to, with respect as a weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now we go back to the first part of this when he says, husbands, be considerate, be kind, be courteous as you live with your wives. We don't interpret that to mean more than one wife, okay? However, one of the, some of the commentators do make a point, number one, that part of this can also be addressing the husband in the same situation as previous, that maybe the wife is a non-believer. Also, the fact that it's an adjective plural and not a noun here does open up the possibility he is speaking of all the women in the household along, along with the wife. But the other women in the household who are under his authority as the first century complete head of the house in terms of everybody obeying what exactly what he says and worshiping his God and so forth. But particularly, the wife, his wife, would be part of that. I want to, before we get, before we get, you know, a big discussion on what it means, the weaker partner, and, and start getting sidetracked, let's not, be, let's not miss the big picture here, friends. Husbands, Paul says, husbands what? L what? Love your wives as what? Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands, fathers here today, um, God has called us to be sacrificial, to be kind, to be considerate, to be courteous, and to love our wives. And to treat them with respect. You know, so here Peter uses the word respect. Uh, Paul uses that for uh, husbands love your wives and wives respect your husbands. Here Peter also uses the word respect for their wife. And I, I just don't, I don't want us to miss this in the other discussions. This is the big picture. That we are called to love, be kind, and be courteous. I always tell uh, when, I'm, when I'm doing our premarital counseling with the young people, that, and I learned this from my in-laws. They, they modeled it for me. That you know, be courteous. I don't always do it. But, you know, it's, it's easy. It's much easier for me to be courteous and kind to you than it sometimes is with my own wife or family because we, we live together and I can take it for granted. You see me at my best generally. Okay? Most of the time. 
But it's easy for that, really. But with the people you're closest to, one of the first things to go is that just common courtesies. Just the common courtesies of life that you would extend to people at work or neighbor or anybody else. Are you willing to extend that to people you live with? Young people with your parents. Are you willing to do that? Peter says, be courteous, be kind. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Now, I just want, let me just make a comment on this. The, the word weak here used in, in Peter is used, and also in the New Testament, is always used in the sense of material things. And so I think it's true, as most, your, most like the NIV um, commentary Bible, the study Bible, and others will point out, the emphasis here is on the, on the physical aspect, that he's talking about the physical nature, the strength and weakness. Now, I know... Um, uh, uh, let's just let it go there. I don't, you know, just, this is a big discussion, but that's what it is. He just says, you know, that this is, is talking about physical strength. It is not talking about character strength. It is not talking about moral strength. Uh, the weaker sex is probably not the best term to use. He says here is the weaker partner, and it has to do with the physical strength. And the reason for that is because we know that in many cultures, um, it is okay to abuse your wife. It wasn't so in the Roman culture, but there are cultures where because you are physically stronger, it is okay. It is not okay. It is never okay. And I don't think anybody here are going to argue about that. It is not okay to be physically abusive. And when, and, and when Peter says this, I think this is part of this as well. He's setting this pattern for the, for the Christians, for believers in Jesus Christ, that, that, you, that you treat them with respect and kindness and, and love as the weaker partner. And the emphasis, I think, is particularly on this physical strength. Now, it is true, in this social context, they also were weaker in terms of social standing and status. That is true in that context. And finally, he wraps up with this. Now, I want you to notice this, friends. This is the things that can be lost in the discussion of some of the bigger principles. It's interesting to me, one of the commentaries, I think it was one Gary you gave me, um, Karen Job teaches at Westmont College, I think. Yeah, she teaches at Westmont College and made this comment. I copied this down. How ironic it is that the words that first century slaves and wives would have read as affirming and empowering are criticized by some today as enslaving and oppressive. From that context... When read within its original historical setting, these verses become a call to social transformation within the Christian community, allowing it to become an alternate, alternate society based on God's redemptive plan. And Peter goes on here to say this, and this is radical, friends. This is, you know, in this cultural setting, look what he says here. That these wives, husbands, and the women in your family... You treat them as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. And some of the early, other, early um, uh, scriptures, the original manuscripts, use the term co-heirs, joint heirs. And I want you to think about this. In Jesus Christ, Paul says, there's neither what? Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female. There is an equality, there's a spiritual equality, uh, equalness in the family of God. And Peter says here, you treat them as those who are 
equal heirs with you of the, of the redemptive story, the salvation, the hope of the gospel. You treat them as equal heirs with you. Friends, this is, a, this is strong language in the first century. Peter is, is, is walking the fine line guided by the Holy Spirit here of not encouraging Christianity to be rebellious, to be a problem, to, be, to draw attention to itself as, being, as trying to cause a problem in the Roman Empire. But at the same time, he is affirming the, 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 the value and the uniqueness and the power of this new faith in Jesus Christ and what this means for men, women, children. And I ask you, historically, which cultures are the culture that have treated and valued children the most. It is the cultures. I know our Christian history has had its, its difficult times. I understand that. But I just look at the world today. It is the cultures that have been significantly influenced by Christianity, the Judeo-Christian culture, the Judeo-Christian heritage are the, are the traditions that treat women and children the way they should be treated. I know there are exceptions. I understand that. But when the Bible, in fact, who was it? You know, we, we've read passages about slaves and servants. Who was it that led the fight to abolish the, the terrible slavery that was part of the Western European and, and, and our tradition? Who was it? It was Christians. It was Christians who led that fight. Those cultures that have been influenced by Christianity. And then finally he closes with this. And then we're going to close too. This is, the, this is what I said. We're going down a different trail. We're not going to finish the rest of this till next week. But look what he says here. So that the goal of this, nothing will hinder your prayers. And I want to, I want to suggest to you that he's not just talking to the men here. He's, this is not just a conclusion to how you treat your wives and your families so that you can pray. I think he's talking about the family. When there, is, when, there is, when there is mistreatment in the family, when there is abuse in the family, when there is uh, non-unchristian qualities of, of, of character in a family of, that are believers, it hinders your prayers as a family. It hinders your, your walk with God. It hinders your relationship. You can't pretend everything is okay. You, you can't treat your wife badly. You can't treat your husband badly. You can't be abusive to your children. And children, you can't be disrespectful to your parents. You can't treat your grandparents in a non-Christian way. You can't do these things and then pretend everything's okay and, and come to God like the Pharisees and scribes and pour your house at God. No, he says, no. So that nothing will hinder your, your prayers as a family, as a group. And this is going to be expanded Next week, we look at this for the whole church community. Look what it says in the next verse. Finally, live in harmony with one another. This now expands to the whole Christian community. These are the big principles from this passage, my friends. The big principles are this. If you are in close quarters with a non-believer, whether it's your family, extended family, work, or even neighborhood, don't underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit to even take your lives to bring people to Christ. Now, by saying that, I'm not saying you never open your mouth. Of course you do. Be ready at all times to give an answer. But when that's not possible, your life can be a testimony and God can use. 
Listen, friends, the big principle here is we need to provide spiritual leadership for our families. Obviously, in my case, my father couldn't do that. He wasn't a Christian. So my mom stepped up to the plate, and she provided that spiritual leadership while still living as a, as a Christian wife with him in accordance to what God said. But she made sure we went to church. She made sure we were, my, we were in, youth, they were in youth group, my sister. She made sure we went to camp. She did that. And, and, and wives and mothers, if you need to, you can do that. Fathers, I, I, I ask of you, I ask of you, step up to the plate. Step up to the plate. I don't care what the past has been. We worship a God in new beginnings. Step up to the plate and lead your family the way God has called you to do that. And for all of us here, friends, we are co-equal. We share together. There is no rank or order or status in this building, in this room today. We are equal heirs of the grace of God and of salvation and the hope and the forgiveness of sins. And listen, friends, don't try to pretend everything's okay. If, if, if you're choosing, if you're willful, willfully choosing if you just say, well, I'm sorry, that's not me. I, I can't treat her. I can't treat him that way. I can't treat them that way. I... Stop it. <laughs> Stop saying that. Yes, you can. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior and you have the Holy Spirit of God, don't blaspheme God by saying, I can't, I can't do that. Yes, you can. We're not called to Perfection but we are called to sincerity of character. And if you want your family life to be one of such where your, your, your walk with God is, is moving forward and, and growing the way it should be, be the kind of person God has called you to be and given you the power of the Holy Spirit to do. These are the big principles from 1 Peter 3. They were radical in its day, and they're just as radical for the believers today. Blessed be the tie that binds. I don't know about you, but I have to admit, I so often wonder, why has God been so good to me? Why has God been so good to me? Why has God been so good to my family? I sometimes feel like King David, when King David said, Lord, is this, is this the way you normally treat people? <laughs> when he called him and, and blessed him. God has been so good to us. And I just want to encourage you today, my friends, that you can walk with God. I'm not perfect, and you're not perfect, and we're not going to be perfect. But this is a new day. This is the first day of a new week. We worship a God in new beginnings. Why not? Why not live your life for the Lord Jesus Christ? And friends, if you're here today and you don't know, don't know Christ the Savior, why not? Why would you not accept his payment for your sins and receive forgiveness for sins? Can you think of a good reason why you wouldn't want to be forgiven and have eternal life? You can do that right where you are. It's not between you and me or between you and our church. It's between you and God. It doesn't matter if you're in third grade or if you're 103. It doesn't matter. Ask Christ to forgive you for your sins and to be your Savior. Heavenly Father, we are such a thankful people. Yes, we're a weak people. We're human. 
And we are thankful that you understand uh, our Savior became a man, went through everything that we go through yet without sin, went to the cross and paid for our sins, paid for my sin, paid for my sin, given us eternal life, given me eternal life. And Lord, I just pray if there would be one person here today who has never accepted Christ as Savior, that they would simply open their heart and say yes to God right now and receive forgiveness for sins and eternal life. I also pray, Lord, if there's one person here today who's struggling with doing the right thing and they know what it is to do, it may involve their family, Lord, give them the strength and courage to do it. We love you. Oh, we love you, Lord. And we walk with you this week. In Christ's name we gather today and we leave rejoicing. Amen. Amen.